Today is January 15th. This is Verses in Flow. I'm Jennifer Wainwright. It's a brand new week, and that means we get to make some decisions about how we want to move into the week. My prayer is that you move into this week with faith, focus, favor, and flow. Since you're here right now, let's settle in and savor this moment. Let's be present in this experience and pick up our reading in Genesis chapter 31, verse 17 through chapter 32, verse 12. The New International Version. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels, and he drove all his livestock ahead of him along with all the goods he had accumulated in Padan Aram to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole her father's household gods. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, crossed the Euphrates River, and headed for the hill country of Gilead. Laban pursues Jacob. On the third day, Laban was told that Jacob had fled. Taking his relatives with him, he pursued Jacob for seven days and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then God came to Laban the Aramean in a dream at night and said to him, Be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country of Gilead when Laban overtook him, and Laban and his relatives camped there too. Then Laban said to Jacob, What have you done? You've deceived me, and you've carried off my daughters like captives in war. Why did you run off secretly and deceive me? Why didn't you tell me so I could send you away with joy and singing to the music of timbrels and harps? You didn't even let me kiss my grandchildren and my daughters goodbye. You have done a foolish thing. I have the power to harm you, but last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. Now you have gone off because you longed to return to your father's household, but why did you steal my gods? Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. But if you find anyone who has your gods, that person shall not live. In the presence of our relatives, see for yourself whether there is anything of yours here with me. And if so, take it. Now Jacob did not know that Rachel had stolen the gods. So Laban went into Jacob's tent and into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants, but he found nothing. After he came out of Leah's tent, he entered Rachel's tent. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddle and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent, but found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. So he searched, but could not find the household gods. Jacob was angry and took Laban to task. What is my crime? 
he asked Laban. How have I wronged you that you hunt me down? Now that you have searched through all my goods, what have you found that belongs to your household? Put it here in front of your relatives and mine and let them judge between the two of us. I have been with you for 20 years now. Your sheep and goats have not miscarried, nor have I eaten rams from your flocks. I did not bring you animals torn by wild beasts. I bore the loss myself, and you demanded payment from me for whatever was stolen by day or night. This was my situation. The heat consumed me in the daytime and the cold at night, and sleep fled from my eyes. It was like this for the 20 years I was in your household. I worked for you for 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. Laban answered Jacob, The women are my daughters, the children are my children, and the flocks are my flocks. All you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about the children they have borne? Come now. Let's make a covenant, you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. So Jacob took a stone and set it up as a pillar. He said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. Laban called it Jagar Sahaduka, and Jacob called it Galid. Laban said, this heap? is a witness between you and me today. That is why it was called Galid. It was also called Mizpah, because he said, may the Lord keep watch between you and me when we are away from each other. If you mistreat my daughters, or if you take any wives besides my daughters, even though no one is with us, remember that God is a witness between you and me. Laban also said to Jacob, Here is this heap, and here is this pillar I have set up between you and me. This heap is a witness, and this pillar is a witness, that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you, and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. May the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of the fear of his father Isaac. He offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. After they had eaten, they spent the night there. Early the next morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren and his daughters and blessed them. Then he left and returned home. Jacob prepares to meet Esau. Jacob also went on his way, and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, This is the camp of God. 
So he named that place Mahanaim. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, This is what you are to say to my lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying with Laban and have remained there until now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I am sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, We went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men are with him. In great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups, and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought, If Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. Then Jacob prayed, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, Go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted." Matthew chapter 10 verse 24 through chapter 11 verse 6. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? So do not be afraid of them, For there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed, or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. 
Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Anyone who welcomes you welcomes me, and anyone who welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. Whoever welcomes a prophet as a prophet will receive a prophet's reward, and whoever welcomes a righteous person as a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who is my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. Jesus and John the Baptist After Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Psalm 13 for the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. So there is quite a bit happening, some really, really meaningful things happening in both the Old Testament, the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs. Today's reading is loaded and I want to take the time to really digest and explain some of those things. We're going to do that in our podcasts coming up in the next few days. Today, however, with it being the beginning of the week, I want to start off with a thought that I want you to take into this week with you. 
I know I talk a lot about becoming who we are and being the best versions of ourselves and really focusing in on that this year. But I do it because I feel like if I say it often enough, you'll think about it. And if you think about it often enough, your thoughts will become your beliefs. And if you believe it, you will live it. As a man thinks, so is he. So when I came up with the name for Verses and Flow, I knew that I wanted this podcast to be about the spoken word of God. However, I also knew that in order for the spoken word of God to really have that transforming power that I've also talked about, it has to be more than that. Let me explain what I mean. Scripture alone will give you the assurance and the faith that you need to move forward if you really believe it. But faith alone is not even enough. Y'all probably already know this scripture, faith without works is dead. James 2.26, your salvation, your conversion, your transformation through your faith is supposed to inspire, compel, and drive you to want to live a different kind of life. We are supposed to live out our faith. And that's a layered, loaded statement. So let's deal with the strata of meaning here. We're supposed to live our faith in our actions, meaning our behavior and thinking is to be informed by our faith. We're supposed to live our faith in how we interact with others, meaning that our lives should be defined by love and grace, compassion and mercy. We're supposed to live out the teachings of Jesus Christ, being doers of the word and not hearers only. However, it also means that we're supposed to believe that God can do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask or think abundantly. There's that word again. According to his power that is at work within us. We often leave that part of the scripture out. But I am so serious, y'all, about living life in the overflow. Consider that statement exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask or think according to his power that is at work within us. So if he can do that exceedingly and abundantly above all what we can ask or think, then why not think the biggest thoughts that we can think? I feel like Dr. Sue's saying that, but basically that means that no thought is too big that can never be bigger than what he can think. So why wouldn't we think bigger in terms of what we can do, in terms of what we can have? Now, to clarify, it doesn't mean that because he can, he will. We have to be willing to do the work. Remember, faith is not passive. It is active. We also have to be mature enough to handle the responsibility of whatever it is we are asking for. He is not going to give us things that will pull us away from him or his kingdom. But at the same time, if we are willing to do the work, if we are mature enough to handle the responsibility, then why not think bigger? Why not have the faith to ask for things that will change the world? 
If he can do anything, if all things are possible through him, and if he loves us enough to send his son to an excruciating death, why wouldn't we think big? How dare we waste a good sacrifice and a good life? Why wouldn't we ask for things that will help us reach our potential and bless others in the process? Really make a difference in the lives of those we love and care for and beyond. What did he mean by the abundant life? He definitely didn't mean a life that feels empty, stressful, disappointing, and unfulfilling. When you have to struggle to find something to be grateful for, that is a good indication that you are not living the abundant life that you were promised. The abundant life is a more joyful life, a more peaceful life, a more loving life, a more patient life, a life that has more meaning. I'm talking about copious amounts of all of these things. Life overflowing, the immaterial, intangible things, the things you can't see, but you can definitely feel. It does not mean that you will not experience stress, loss, suffering, disappointment, or moments of despair. It means despite these things, you'll still have your peace, your joy, your love, your purpose, and your meaning. It means you'll still be able to get up in the morning, smile, and say, I am so glad and grateful to be alive. Now, this also does not mean that we don't want material things or should not want material things. But guess what? Can I tell you two things that happen when you start living in this kind of faith and believing God for the abundant life? One, the material wealth that we often think is so important will become less so as we focus our eyes on things above and not below. Material wealth is still important. You can't leave an inheritance for your children's children if you don't have anything to leave. And I'm sure I don't have to explain why having money is important. What I am saying is, when you are really living in a mindset of abundance, as opposed to scarcity, material possessions are no longer the goal. They are a byproduct of it. The Bible says that we should seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things, material possessions, will be added to us. Either we believe that or we don't. But the second thing is, when you're not so fixed, when we're not so fixed on acquiring the things, we have more time, more capacity to discover or focus on the things that matter most, the things that make life worth living, your purpose, your meaning, and living out your unique call, our life's task. My word, that is so much better than money. Verses and flow is about the spoken word of God, number one. But when I created it, that flow part was about finding and living in a flow in our lives, a rhythm that feels life-giving, sustainable, and inspired, a rhythm that finds its beat in the heart of God. But in the creation of this podcast, I received an unexpected, unparalleled, priceless gift. 
When artists, creatives, or anyone who does any kind of work that requires a steady state of focus and attention become fully immersed in what they're doing, losing a sense of time and their surroundings, that's called a flow state. And it is sublime. The feeling is unlike anything else. It's incomparable. You just want to stay there and do nothing but that thing. You feel alive and present in your body, mind, and spirit, and you see yourself and your work with more clarity. Colors are brighter, smells are sweeter, every sense is heightened, and you feel fully present. It is a spiritual experience, a divine experience, where you feel, oh, 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 it's this. You know how people will see you do something or hear you say something and be like, you look just like your mama or you sound just like your daddy. Like you're embodying their characteristics without even trying. That's what flow is. Like I'm embodying the characteristics of my heavenly father, his creative characteristics. I'm literally flowing in purpose and it is work, but it feels so amazing that it also feels effortless. Flow is often elusive, which is why it is so desirable. Y'all, this is what Verses and Flow has turned into for me in just, just two weeks. Two weeks. Now, I told you guys that you cannot go through the Bible in a year and not be transformed by it. I didn't know my transformation was going to start two weeks in. I have never felt like this before, never felt this kind of flow consistently. I say all that to say, I know I'm in purpose because I am literally flowing in it and it feels amazing. It's a little bit scary and a little bit exciting all at once, but it's okay because there's, there's no turning back now. But to bring it full circle, I didn't know that this was behind the door that God was opening for me. I just knew that I needed to check my fears and doubts before I crossed the threshold to walk on through it. But to walk through it took faith. So here is my challenge to you. What kind of faith do you need to find your flow, to find your overflow? You're here with me now, so you're going to get yours too. It's just a matter of time. But I want to know and I want to hear about it. I want to touch and agree with you. Email me, jennifer at versesandflow.com. Leave me a comment or something. I have so much to say, so much more to say. And I can't wait till tomorrow so we can talk about everything that happened in scripture today. But I'm going to pray us on out because I really want you to sit with this. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you that you've given us gifts, talents, skills, and experiences that we can use to help others and serve you. We pray that you would give us the courage and strength we need to pursue our passions, find them, develop them, and share them with the world. We pray that you would give us the courage to lean in the direction of our unique call and to follow our purpose, deliver us from fear to faith, from doubt to 
to courage. Speak to our hearts and minds and keep our eyes on you. Lift our gaze so that we are completely focused on what you have for us to see as we trust you to provide for our every need. We pray that you would help us to anchor our hearts and minds on things above that are eternal and not temporary that your plans for our lives are not derailed by the false promises of temporary things. We pray that you would give us the courage to let go of things that no longer serve us and allow you to direct our paths and to order our steps. We pray that you would help us sustain a life of faith and abundance, one that does not fixate on the things of this world, but one that is centered in the things that matter most. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. (laughs) And our affirmation for today, I starve doubt and feast on faith. My faith refuels my self-belief. I starve doubt and feast on faith. My faith refuels my self-belief and our aphorism. The well of providence is deep. It's the buckets we bring to it that are small. That's all I got for y'all today. I am literally bouncing in my seat right now. (laughs) You belong here and we belong together on this journey. I'll be right here tomorrow waiting for you. Thank you.